Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church dear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-A-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works. Blake, did you, uh, you know the term grounded? Yes, I'm very aware, sadly. Did, did you get grounded very often as a teenager? If only I could count that high. Welcome to the Church Gear Podcast, where we pull the tech director out of the booth and onto the stage to share the most outlandish stories and hidden wisdom from the tech trenches. And now, here are your hosts. I'm Blake Hodges, and I'm here with my co-host and boss of the year, Toby Walters. Okay, so like all of us, I got grounded as a teenager. And I mean, if you ask me, it was all for stupid reasons. Like my parents... You know, they asked me to do things, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to do it, because what you're asking is ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like your kids listen to you, so why should you listen to your parents? Exactly. Your kid, yeah, well, I mean, kids my about. kids listen to me because all my demands are reasonable. Oh, sure, 100%. And uh, obvious, you know. But your parents, they were all 0% obvious. 100% true. 100%. So uh, there was this one moment, I was 16 or 17 years old. And I was mowing the lawn because that was one of my chores. Did you have to mow the lawn? I did. I actually loved mowing the lawn. It's the only manly thing in my entire life I can claim I did. I I can imagine. So I was mowing the lawn, and this is like old school. You had the bag on the back of the push mower, and it fills up with the grass that you mow. So at the end of the mow, you know, I push the mower back into the garage. And I've done this a number of times. And, you know, mother says, empty the bag of grass into the trash can yeah i never had to empty the bag uh and and like, i know isn't that dad's job like yeah. i mow the lawn he empties the bag right so it was and I'm, I'm sorry i'm talking about a bag of grass here i know we're just dancing around let's just get it out in the open i'm not talking about that kind of bag of grass I'm talking about this kind of bag of grass. that would be okay. a very big bag of grass <clears throat> yes. to be attached to a lawnmower so this was probably the half a dozen half it's called the sixth because i don't know how to say that term the sixth time that i didn't empty the bag into the trash can and mom was finally fed up. So she says, you are grounded for a week. And I'm like, does the punishment fit the crime? Like, what do you think about that? Like, that's way too much. Well, it was the sixth time on the bag. There's seven days in a week. So yeah, you had at least one <sighs> more time before Don't you got take the my mom's week. side on this. No, I'm taking yours. I'm saying she uh, jumped the gun too soon. So, uh, and back in those days, I mean, I came up in an extremely, rigid, strict Christian household. So I wasn't allowed to do much. So they were grounding me from youth group. Oh, wow. Okay. I couldn't go to youth group. And I loved youth group because I was, I mean, I was not cool at school, but at youth group, at my small Baptist church, I was like king of the castle. In the village of the blind, the one in, one-eyed man is king. That's right. So um, I developed a plan. This was on Saturday. And they said, I mean, the first youth group event was the next day, Sunday afternoon, we're having a pool party. And I'm like, this is tragic. So I I thought like, is there something I can do? Like there was a little lawyer in me back at that point. So I thought, what could I do? And we were at a very small Baptist church. We were like maybe 150 people. And my grandparents literally helped build the church building. So like we had family history there. 
So at that time, my youth pastor was also the executive pastor, was also the music director, and he he did announcements in the service. He had too many hats to even put on a hat rack. That's right. He was probably the tech director too, because we didn't have one of those, because we're a little church. And I hear that's very easy to do. Yes. So uh, I went to him and I, I, I had a plan hatched in my mind and I presented it to him and his response was basically, yeah, why not? So comes uh, service time, service starts. I think there's one opening song and then that's when this pastor would get up and do announcements. And But this time I got up and did announcements. I'm so scared for what's about to happen. So he gave me the, you know, three announcements we had, you know, seniors ministries meeting Wednesday morning at this location. Um, you know, attendance was this last week, whatever it was. And then I said, but I've got a grave issue that I need to bring before the church, a grave sin issue to bring before the congregation. You're about to put your whole parents on blast in front of the church. Uh, it's exactly what I'm doing. So <laughs> oh, no. I opened up with the uh, the Bible passage of the Bible says when someone sins, two or more people, or you go to them and you rebuke them. And if they don't listen, two or more people should go and rebuke them. And if they don't listen, you take them in front of the church and you, you excommunicate them. You kick them out because they're sinners. So... Why are you shaking your head? I, I'm this just perfectly logical. I'm no, I'm so terrified for what is coming to you. Even though this is in the past, you're still alive presently. I'm like, past Toby's somehow gonna die in this story. So I present that passage, and then I also present the passage of parents do not exasperate your children. Oh my and gosh. I presented my case saying that, you know, was does the punishment fit the crime in this situation? Uh, I didn't say bag of grass at the front of the church, but I said, you know, now I'm grounded from church youth group. Is that right? And thankfully, because my family has such a history, so I I put it to a church vote. This is a Baptist church. We like to vote on things. It's we vote and then we do chili cook-off. Yep. Baptist America right yep. there. So I put it to a church vote. And again, like family history. So like my family's there, my parents, obviously, my siblings, my aunt and uncle, and my grandparents. And out of the crowd, my grandma shouts, let Toby go. Oh, you got grandma. You won. That's the only vote that really mattered in that crowd. So grandma was on my side and they, I mean, the church did vote and I think it was pretty much a split decision. But at the end of the day, actually after, after church, my mom was like, well, you know, that, that was a good shot. She's like, I'm going to give you a, an, a compromise. If you want to go to the youth group thing today, you can't go to youth group on Wednesday night. And so I said, sold. I wanted that pool party. There we go. Well, and I can only imagine why. So at this point, um, so take your case before the church, you know, no matter how frivolous it is, that's where it's supposed to go. Just get church board approval. And next time, make sure you film it and send it to us. Advantages of small churches. Yes. Um, well, at this point, I would like to bring in a guest and see if he's got any grievances. <laughs> Against his parents. Or the many people he has seen in life. Um, this man has uh, so many accolades, it's going to be tough to get to them all. We've I had think to you need to take down. a nap before you list all these accolades. I this act- is ridiculous. I took a nap right after I read them, actually, yeah. um, at his house. Um, all right, so this guy has been the lighting director for John Mayer for 12 years. 
And are all of these true, or is he like... One of these is definitely a lie, but oh, the fact gosh. is, I'm shocked it's not like one's true and the rest are lies. He's been the lighting director for Keith Urban for six years, the, cre the chief creative at and partner at Darkroom Creative. Through that, uh, that creative, that Darkroom, he's been the designer for the Doobie Brothers, Barry Manilow, Lauren Daigle, Toby Keith, the crossings, crossing at Chesterfield, and Richard Simmons. Oh, Richard Simmons. I present to you Nathan Alves. Nathan. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Wake up and join us, Nathan. Hi, guys. Uh, what's going on? Nathan, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You look lovely. I love the scarf. I love the sweater. You're welcome. You're welcome. Your fashion's so on point. Put on my finest attire to not work from home today. <laughs> <laughs> you have a face for radio, so this Thank is you. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Hard uh, disagree on this end. So, so now, Nathan, did you ever get grounded as a teenager? Uh, yeah, all the time. All the time. Um, Was it, it for nonsense, or were you like really hitting that? So I grew up in a, in a very uh, traditional Christian home. Um, and by traditional, I mean, uh, militaristic almost. Okay. Uh, we, uh, so yeah, I know I was, I was grounded for everything. Um, I was grounded for listening to bad CDs. I was grounded for, mm. uh, listening to, th uh, you know, watching things I wasn't supposed to watch. But, um, the weird part about that is, is like you, because I, because that's the, like the family of origin I come out of, I was a little awkward everywhere else in life. So grounding me didn't really do a lot because I didn't do a lot to begin with. You know, I, I'm in my room drawing pictures. You want me to stay in my room and draw more pictures? Sure. You have to draw more appropriate pictures now. Right? Only pictures yeah, yeah. of Jesus this month. Only pictures of Jesus this month. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was grounded all the time. All the time. Were you ever grounded for lying? Because apparently you just lied in this list of accolades. I did lie in that list of accolades. There is, uh, there okay. is something in there that is not So accurate. Blake and I have to figure this out. And Blake and I have known you for a while, so. Yeah, yeah. this is going to be... Uh, tougher and easier i guess because we were in that gr small group for two years so i feel like i've heard a lot of these stories i mean we know about john mayer let's yes. just take it off the table we know he's worked with john mayer we yes. know keith urban yes yep um so then and i know unless yeah. he changed the name of his company which i would feel like a bad friend if i don't catch that no i know that one i feel like yeah dark room yeah. creative yeah that's correct so i i have a guess and i think all right if you already got your guess let me get mine first too yeah. so i'm not jaded um, and I'm wondering if you know who my guess is even because I mean, again, to our listening audience, Blake is like 12 years old, at least in his, in my pop, music pop culture references. Yeah. So I think I've got mine. I'm going to go okay. first. I am going to say that the lie is in that long list at the very end that you've been a designer for lighting. Um, I'm going to say Richard Simmons is the lie. That's and who guess. is Richard Simmons? Like? I have no idea, oh, but I, I know that that name is the name. And uh, that's Richard of, Simmons is like, it was, he was big. I mean, he's big, big for a long time. But in the 80s, he was like the exercise guru. He was the. Dancing to the oldies, man. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Who's the uh, the biggest loser lady that, you know, everybody's scared of? The Jillian Michaels. Jillian Michaels. He's he was like the, the, he was the Jillian, Jillian Michaels when I was nine years old. Yeah. He'd wear these like blue Ridiculously and short. Tights. He had a fro, Shorts. a curly fro, and he he did not. The body grooming did not exist in the eighties. I mean, this is a, this is a new thing. <laughs> All right, so for anybody, Toby and I are almost the same age. People, we we didn't body groom in the eighties. Like men just walked around. If they if they men were, were big fairy men. men, they yes. just walked around looking like they just got out of the woods. Uh, so he would do exercise videos and send them out. Um, and no, I'd never worked for him. Okay. Yep, that was going to be my guess as well. All right. Uh, Richard Simmons, you are extremely unlucky to have never worked with Nathan. Ellis. I know. I'm, I, I would. I'm, is he still alive? I think oh, so. Oh, I don't want to break that can on the we, podcast. Can, can we target this? Like, 
Blake, Google this. Uh, Is Richard will, Simmons still alive? I will buy gear from you guys, and we will design a show for Richard Simmons. Oh, man. Richard, we're coming. Oh, my God. It's going to be a traveling theater show. Well, um, now that we've gone through that long list, I, I'm like, man, let's get some backstory. So um, it's so long, I don't even know where to begin on all the people you've worked with. So, like, just tell uh, us about some of the favorite times you've had. The, well, no. Do you have like a favorite tour? The or Cliff Notes show? version of I don't, me? I'm scared uh, to put him on like picking his favorite tour because that's like picking a favorite child, right? They're, they're um, all, yeah, yeah. They're all different. Um, asking the biggest challenge or what was your favorite tour or any of those questions. It's, I liken it to, and you have kids, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's like pregnancy. Every pregnancy is different. Yeah. So uh, your and every child's different. Some and, of them and every are kid duds. is different. And you know, one of my two kids, total dud. Yeah. Well, I mean, I won't there's say the, which one. There's the one that you hate for like two years, and then you start to like them. That's true. Yeah. And then you start. That same thing happens. I mean, with hate us. my one of my children is right above this floor right now, so I won't say I hate any. Oh, of my can children, they hear us right now? I doubt it, but okay, good. Uh, hey, it might be we'll a keep going on this word. analogy then. Um, no, there's every tour is different. Some tours you're you know you're gone for twelve months, and so on month eleven, and you've been doing the same thing for twelve months yeah. for the same artist. Who they're all particular, and some of them can be difficult. Some of them can be sweethearts, but there's always something that kind of rubs you the wrong way on month eleven. And sure, you haven't seen your wife, and you sleep in a bunk that's about the size of the table we're in front of, which is not that big. Um, you're really selling the kids on this touring thing. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it, they just get incredibly difficult. And you, so you're, you know, you're just cranky and angry and you don't like what you're doing for a living. And then month 12 happens and you say goodbye to your friends. And about six months later, you're sitting at home and an advertisement for the next tour comes on television and they're using some art that you made. And you're like, wow, that was really fun. And I went to Amsterdam and Paris and London and Tokyo and Sydney, Australia. And I got to experience that with some of my best friends and somebody else paid for it. So yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of put a button on which one's the best one. Yeah. Um, they're all, they're all in hindsight, they're all amazing. So and you're a creative director, lighting designer. So you create all the visual elements in stuff a live that production yeah. that's, yeah, that's coming from lights, screens. Set elements. We design entire stages sometimes. So are you like, do you design all this ahead of time and then just like press a button and it goes? Or are you like, just like the mix engineer, you are mixing a live production of it lights depends and on elements the tour. And- um, so I mean, like we said, I was John's LD for 12 years. Uh, John plays a different set list every night of the week. So you never get two shows, two, two shows that are identical back to back. When do you find out about this set list? Sometimes we get, uh, sometimes we'll get them an hour before the show starts. And you have to design a whole show within an hour? We don't. Um, we try to design this thing like it's uh, basically we build blocks and chunks. At least when I'm laying out my consoles, I'll build like chunks and blocks of a, of a sequence. And I'll say, okay, we're going to take this piece and put it here. And then I'll slide this piece over here. And then we'll kind of lay out um, a two-hour performance that way. And that was, that was the way to keep his show from looking the same every night. Um, because the, the marching orders, at least when I started there in 2009, where he wants, he doesn't want to see the same thing every night of the week. So, Wow. That's a lot of pressure on all that variety. Yeah. Well, and it, it was funny because we would, uh, as, as the tours would progress, the set list started coming in later and later. I remember on, on one specific tour, the, the first day we got our set list at like 10 o'clock in the morning. I was like, man, he's really looking out for me today. And then slowly as everybody got more comfortable, it started almost becoming a game. I'm like, well, I wonder when we're going to get it today. And there were a couple nights where we would, we would get the first half of the show and then we would do an intermission. And so during intermission, we would get the second half of the show. 
So then, like, what is it like living on that amount of adrenaline while trying to, I mean, you're a professional, like, you really care about this craft. So there seems to be this balance of, like, prepare, but then also, I just got to do it. So, I mean, at that point, are you running on instincts, muscle memory? How are you keeping a calm head? You, well, one, when you're done, you sleep for, like, three days. Um, so when you come home from a tour, uh, you just, you literally collapse. I have friends who, like, what we're like, yeah, let's go to get dinner when we get home. We live in the same town. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's like 48 hours later. And I'm like, hey, were we supposed to meet up yesterday? Like, um, just exceptionally tired. Uh, but yeah, it's, you basically become singularly task focused. Um, touring is exceptionally hard on your spouse, your partner, whoever that is, because the entire emotional burden of running your household transfers to them. They become kind of practically single mm. while you're out, especially if you're on a, you know, there's different models of touring. There's kind of the Nashville model right now, which is you leave home on Wednesday and you come home on Sunday. And that, and that kind of works because you get three days to catch up on, you know, your home life and you get to help your spouse or your partner um, when you're back home. Then, then there's kind of that traditional pop touring model where you leave home for four to six weeks at a time. And if you're on that model, that means that for a solid month, your partner is doing all of the work of like managing your family and your household. They're paying all the bills. And so that's the, that's the only way you can functionally get what you need done uh, in the course of a day because we show up to some of these venues with 13 to 18 semi-trucks full of production equipment. That's the, a lot. The day starts at 7 o'clock in the morning. The concert's at, you know, rough, roughly 9 p.m. You know, 7 p.m. you start your openers. You usually put your uh, artist on stage for a sound check in between 3 and 4. So, which means that to give yourself time for things to break because things always break. Um, We've never had anything break. It, things always break. <laughs> The, the, there's always something that That's is our lie. <laughs> held together by like scotch tape in the touring world. There's always something held together by scotch tape and, and twine. Does it just keep getting worse as the tour goes on and on? Like, well, yeah, because we put things in, I mean, it's imagine build something out of glass, put it in the passenger seat of your car and then drive 500 miles and then stop, take it out, show it to like 5,000 people, put it back in your car, drive another 500 miles. And then by the time you get to like the fourth city, you're like, I don't know how this is still working, but it is. So nobody touch anything. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, it's, it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult strain we put on our spouses, but that's the only way we can get it done. Um, those days are exceptionally long. You're trying to, you're trying, you're starting at seven o'clock in the morning. You're trying to be done at two in the afternoon. Um, and you just, you just don't stop. Mm. So when, um, you know, pregame for a tour, so, you know, John comes to you and says, Hey, we're going on tour, Keith Urban, you know, these are guys that are of the accolades that like they get whatever they want. I assume, I mean, they can't spend a billion dollars, but like if they, if they have a, a vision in their mind, it's going to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of the, like the most fun things that you've had to figure out how to, how to make happen? Um, man. Uh, so John's tour producer came to us, uh, recently. Um, the last, the last thing I did for him, uh, we built a, uh, they had this idea, they sent us an animatic for a shadow box that was life-size. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of concept drawings we got and the, the mood board we got showed a bunch of, you know, kind of eight and a half by 11 cardboard shadow boxes. Um, and they wanted to make that, but in a scale that was, you know, 12 feet tall by 36 feet wide. Um, how do we light this so that it still kind of creates that kind of shadow play and that kind of, um, that kind of uh, interaction between all the elements? So that, that was a fun one. Um, when I was the lighting director for Keith Thurman, we uh, did a tour where we literally picked the video walls up. Um, we had five video walls, 
Uh, Mark Beckman was the production designer, and he uh, he came up with this show where the walls would pick up, they'd go completely flat over top of the band, and then they'd come down and create a club roof. Oh. Um, so the engineering for that was incredibly fun, and and figuring out how to light around that with him was uh, was super interesting. I did a show for Cat Stevens a couple years ago, where he wanted the stage to feel like it was the attic of his parents' house when he was uh, <laughs> when he was growing up in London. Uh, so coming up with that one was fun, and uh, I, I remember sitting in the production office, and every couple of days he would show up with a you know I had this record when I was a kid. Someone find one for me. Um, so, so, you know, we were ordering records off Amazon to dress the set, and uh, our production manager was handling all that. It was uh, an incredibly, incredibly uh, uh, intricate piece of work. Um, there's, a, there's a PBS special on that one, and you can watch it, and there's all these, like, little Easter eggs all over the place, like posters for the original run of West Side Story and uh, very old Cat Stevens records and um, just old guitars and, you know, the tea kettle from Tea for the Tillerman and all this other stuff. I'm just imagining the, uh, the attic in the Goonies. Where yeah, pretty much. They're looking at all the treasure stuff. And, yeah. Hey, Mikey, come give me a big wet liquor kiss. Yes, 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 yes. Again, Blake, you ever seen The Goonies? Nope, I'm saving oh, that one. Gosh. Uh, um, I quit. I'm done. So then what happened to all those? Did, the, did those Easter eggs go home? Did you take a souvenir? Does he now have a whole set at his house from that tour? Uh, I don't know what happened to that one. So I cycled onto another tour before that tour ended. And they went to kind of Pacific Rim, Australia, Japan, part of the world-ish. Um, and they took all that stuff with them. So I don't know what happened to any of those pieces. So then when you're working with an artist, like we're talking about the, the moment the show is happening and the chaos, but there's all this process I would assume that happens before that. Like what program are you, are you using when you're making the, the set ahead of time? Uh, what's your process? Like, how is that going? Cause I would assume you have to have a good bit of the, the prep work ahead of time when you're, you're lighting the show before you get to the moment. So you know how to do everything so quickly. We start, uh, so Dark Room's process takes about six months to build a full-size arena tour. Um, so we normally get a phone call anywhere from six to eight months before an artist goes out. Uh, we'll start with um, a series of sketches. We like to work in as accurate of a space as possible, so we go straight into, we don't do paper sketches. We go straight into kind of 3D modeling and 3D rendering and some um, some kind of uh, visualization software programs that we use. We work in Vectorworks which all your church lighting guys are going to be super familiar with. Um, and then we, our renders, we, we go out of Vectorworks to render in Cinema 4D, which we also use to make a lot of the video content you see on screens. So it's kind of a natural transition for us. Uh, we do a thing called pre-visualization, which is where you light things without actually having to build anything. Um, so we use a software package called Vision for that. It's a plug-in to Vectorworks, and it allows us to take, basically take a lighting console and plug it into a computer and see what our show's going to look like before we rent anything. That sounds very helpful. Uh, it's incredibly I've used helpful. iPhoto. Is that? Yes, yes. It's exactly how that works. Like Microsoft Draw. Like yep. I'm basically qualified now to build shows. For you are. You are. You're hired. A-list artists. Yes. Beautiful. Well, well, all right. Blake knows what a lighting board is. I, those are actually my favorite boards that we sell. <laughs> They're very fun. Nate, uh, what's your, do you have a favorite uh, live console that you use? I mean, Blake knows who grandma is. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that, I just yeah. love that that's a name. <laughs> so we're, uh, funny enough, um, we currently dri drive almost every show that we, uh, that we put out on Grand MA2. Um, some, some flavor of that platform. Now, tell us, does, uh, if anybody says grandma, do lighting directors look at each other and be like, <laughs> noob? Uh, you know, we... Because it's spelled grandma. Don't really care. Um, we, we don't really care that much. Uh, we had, uh, I had an older lighting director years ago when I worked at a lighting warehouse. He used to change all his to grandpa. 
Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the grandpa won. Um, no, I've been, I've been an MA lighting guy since the original Grand MA. Uh, so they're just easy for me to work with. So I tend to stay with them. Um, we're, we've got some original Grand MAs. Do you really? We've got an ultralight. We've got the, like the actual, like the actual full size one yep. with the three screens. Wow. Yeah. So if you want to like go back in time, go back in time, come go on back, over to our go warehouse. Go back to Keith Urban circa 2007. Yeah. Toby, did you not know I gave that board to him in exchange for doing the episode today? Yes. Oh, Blake, I should what are you probably doing? have mentioned that. I mean, it's I, I'm pretty sure it's only worth like 30 bucks at this point. <laughs> it's worth more than 30. Come on. Depends on who needs it. Um, um, we should probably mention that you were a church tech director for a time too. Like, let's um, rewind a little bit now. We've got all this crazy well, stuff. Well, I, I wasn't but. a tech director, but I was a technician. My first job uh, officially as a lighting technician was at Calvary Assembly of God in Winter Park, Florida. So okay, uh, is that the giant like glass building off of I four as you're going off north? Off of I four, um, we've been there. Yeah, so Calvary is a uh, I mean, they're a 5600 seat auditorium, and at the time they had a um, couple satellite rooms that were pretty well lit. And I started out as a lighting and sound technician. Um, I honestly started out when I was a teenager volunteering there. That's what I was getting at. I was I was waiting for the moment where this actually all started because you were volunteering somewhere at the church because that seems to be the yep. story of. I can't say all, but almost all. My people. business partner started volunteering at his church, and he uh, he ended up doing what he did because he went to Verilite when Verilite was the place you went to to get moving lights, and he he rented some lights and he sent them back working, and they were like, "Wait a minute, who fixed these?" And he was like, "I did," and that's how he got his first job in the industry. Can uh, he fix our lights? We about, have yeah, right. Mountains of moving lights that pull him out of pull him out of technician retirement to come come down Absolutely. here. Absolutely, I was gonna say that sounds familiar. We have hired a, a couple people that way as well. They yeah. fixed one thing. We're like, can you stay forever, please? Yeah, please don't leave. Okay, so you got your start in church. Did that mm -hmm. kind of like spark the interest, like getting involved in the the production department at the church? Yeah. So I um, one of one of my friends in high school just he helped with the technical department. And you grew up in Orlando, like that was home for you? Yeah, that was home for me. And I just, you know, I liked, there, there were a couple of kids, since I think some of them still work there or still do work for them. Um, but they, I wanted to hang out with them and to hang out with them meant you were going to hang out with the tech guys. And so I was like, all right, let's get into this. And, you know, bought a multi-tool and started learning how to coil cable. And, you know, they taught me how to, they taught me how to mix sound for the first time. And those guys were the first place I did lights. And, uh, you know, Focused park hands and moved really heavy things around for the uh, for the Christmas production and the Easter production when we would rent outside gear and bring in outside designers. That was the first place I met a Verilite guy. Which, for people who don't know, Verilite at the time was the like that was the end all be all of moving lights. Like if you mm. had a Verilite system, you were like you were crushing it. You were Disney. Uh, We've got some Verilites in the warehouse. Yeah, and they weigh like four thousand pounds. Yeah, they're heavy. Does yeah. that mean the warehouse is now Disneyland? Yes. That's what I just heard. Yes. To the right tech. You are required to wear ears to work from now on. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Well, then all these people you're out on the road with are a lot of them uh, former like church people. That's where they got their start. Because I would imagine that's the on-ramp for a lot of people. It's the on-ramp for a lot of people. Uh, it, you, you come up in one of many... One of many categories. So in my age range, it was a little rare for you to be um, kind of church bred. Uh, it was really common for you to be... Um, come from like the club world you you would start off at like a dive bar and you'd move into a club that had a bigger stage then you'd end up on a tour bus and that's how you went on tour um church technology and just kind of the presentation of houses of worship has gotten so more technologically advanced just as 
for the, in the amount of time I've been in the industry, that now we're seeing a large group of people come out of church world and transition into touring and a kind of secular pop acts and rock and roll acts. Um, it's, it's kind of a great breeding ground because you have this controlled environment where people can learn how to use advanced technology, that same stuff we use on a large format tour, but it never moves. So you can really kind of, you know, build this nice little sandbox and say, all right, here's why we do the things that we do and how we do the things that we do. Hmm. Okay, Nate. Um, when I was growing up teenager, like I got my start at in church mm-hmm. and audio production, like recording engineering, that was my dream. So I'd be sitting, having dinner and reading mix magazine. Yes. And every mix magazine, there would always be an ad for full sale university. Yes. And I mean, I'm on the other side of the country. So this is like my version of like Disneyland is over here, full sale university. Mm-hmm. And you went to full sale. I did. So is a, you know, a, a kid like me dreaming about full sale. Is that sort of a, you know, am I imagining the right place or is it like once you're there, you kind of settle in and it's, it's just a place like it's you're, got pros and cons. You're imagining the right place. Any, uh, anywhere has pros and cons, but you are imagining the right place. Uh, some of the people I met at full sale, I still work with today. Um, we, we give each other work. Some of the connections I made there uh, colored the way I view the business today and how I get new clients and, and just the type of businessman and technician and designer that I became. Um, but most importantly, it's, it's a great place. If, if you're trying to, if you don't have, there's kind of two ways you can get into this, right? You know somebody or you go to school for it. And if, if you don't know what to do and you want to do this for a living, if you watch a concert on television or if you go to church on Sunday and you look up at the lights more than you look at the stage, Full Sail is a great place to go and learn how to do those things. And it gives you kind of this great kind of stepping off point. Um, after that, it's on you. You know, the humility to get, get your first job and to show up willing to work and learn, that's on you. Full Sail can't, can't do that for you. Um, you can't skip steps on this ladder. Um, everybody starts at the bottom. But if you're willing to do the work, Full Sail is a great place to learn some of the technical skills that you need to get started. So if you come out of Full Sail, I assume Orlando is just saturated with production people because Full Sail is producing them yeah. at a high clip. If you come out of Full Sail, would it be wise to maybe pick a different city where there's a little less saturation in the production world? Sure. I mean, I, if you come out of Full Sail, I think it's wise for you just to get a job wherever you can get a job. Start doing something. You know, I... A friend of mine asked me to talk to uh, a young woman who was graduating from Savannah College of Art recently, and uh, you know how it's the beginning of the pandemic, so nobody knows what's about to happen. Um, in our world, everything stopped for eighteen months shortly after I sent this email. Uh, but she wanted to know kind of what to do next. You know, she was a senior in college. Like, what do I do next? I want to be a designer. Um, and kind of the answer is just make stuff. You know, design great, big, incredible things that no one will ever see because you're not designing for anybody right now. And then design really little things that maybe some people will see because you can sell them to somebody. Or, you know, and somewhere in the middle, but just do it because you have this thing inside you that needs to get drawn. Um, As opposed to building, you know, waiting for somebody to hire you and pay you money to do these things. Um, If you treat it like art, it tends to work better, um, I find, than if you treat it like something that has to be sold to someone. Blake definitely, like, creates big incredible things that nobody should ever see. No, oh, no. Yeah. It's, it's shocking in its 
horrificness. The floors of my office are pages of pages of- You gave uh, him an office? Hang, hang it's on. like- Pause. Uh, you gave him an office? Oh, no. I yeah. built an office in my house. Oh. I gave uh, him the closet in the bathroom as his office. So I built an office in my house. <laughs> Um, yeah, the pages of all of my shot down ideas litter the floor of that room, but you know, it makes for good kindling in the fire. Mm. So, I mean, you're doing what Nathan asked you to do. You're creating things. Exactly. Nobody's ever going to see them. They're nonsense. They're like finger paintings of a madman. One, one could say that I'm in the thing that has been created though, in this moment, in a meta moment. Well, you you know what you should do is you should just, you know, like put it on the fridge next to the stuff your kids make. That's a good idea. Blake did this. And and that way he can see it every time he comes over and just feel proud of the the body of work that he's done. You think I can compete against the kids? Well, he did say he already had a favorite kid and the other one he did. So maybe I can (laughs) get- And it's not you, Blake. Maybe I can go for a second, you know? (laughs) So then- uh, it's you've got this church world background, or that's where you got your start. You've got millions of years in the uh, millions. How old are you? Listen, I'm 38, and I started doing this. If you count the volunteering years, when I was about 14, 15, so not millions so a of million years, years is about right. Yeah. This is like dog years, though. A year on the, on a tour, like all of that experience is like a billion years of experience. So tell us like the difference between being on tour with you know the stars and then like working at the church like how do those overlap they're the same like discipline but they're just wildly different settings uh well functionally for like i'd say 98 percent of the staff on a tour um there's very little distinction between what you would do at the church and what you would do on tour um the vast majority of people don't travel with an artist uh on tour we you, we don't uh you, you don't wake up in a five-star hotel you, um you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and you're on a tour bus outside and you walk into an empty room and you start putting lights in the air and speakers and building stages. Uh, the, the one difference would be that, you know, we have to assemble everything every day now. Uh, when I worked at the church, you would walk in and you'd kind of warm up the room. You know, you turn stuff on, you walk around, you make sure it's clean. I uh, set some microphones up, you know, kind of who's in the band today, you know, it's like, okay, bass player, this guy likes to be over here. So I'm going to move him to the right. Don't forget to mute Brenda's mic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, like this person doesn't sing very loud, but I know he will when once the service starts, you know, so we're going to start, we're going to start a little, a little high and we'll come back down. Uh, that doesn't happen on tour. We just go to town. Um, it's an, it's a completely empty room. It's a concrete floor, uh, with 10,000 seats in front of it. And you just, Start putting stuff in the air. Trust comes in first, motors, and then okay. Give else us after that. Give us one of your favorite touring moments where like all hell broke loose. Oh man! Uh, well, we we hide it really well, so it's really hard for all hell to break loose. Um, Even if it's only breaking loose in your head, I mean that's the place yeah. that you live, and no, it's there, going crazy. There have been all sorts of days. Um, all right, so Grand MA one story. Okay, uh, the original Grand MA. So those were some. Those were the first consoles that I would link together when I was operating a show. So you could link other consoles together, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a great tracking system and you'd have to have switches and things. And the Grand MA Series 1 was kind of the first desk that I started running Ethernet cables back and forth from. And so you'd move a fader on one console and the fader on the other console would move and they'd be fully tracking. So in case anything went wrong, there's another console right here you could just step onto. Uh, well, the, what happened was the, the, the way that system worked, the, the mouse input, you know, because it's basically a computer, right? So, mm-hmm. the, so the mouse input uh, tracked between both consoles as well. So I have a console behind me to my left that's covered, and we're starting a concert, and it's, I mean, it's this thing is 90% of the house is there, like 14,000 kids. Um, it's loud, you know, big kablam moment. Now, I pushed one button at the big kapow moment, and it turned on 80 lights, 
and spotlights happened and the video wall explodes in color and all of all of this is supposed to happen at once and i pushed the button and absolutely nothing happened oh no <laughs> and i pushed the button again and i'm looking at the screen and there's a cue list in front of me and i push the button again and absolutely nothing happens and I, 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 for the life of me, can't figure out what's going wrong. And I start, you know, moving the faders up and down. And I look to my left, and I don't see anything wrong. And I look to my left again. And on the spare console, uh, front of house has lots of screens. People are interested. They kind of want to see what's going on over there. And an audience member to my left had leaned over the console to kind of see what I do for a living and was holding a beer oh. over the lip of the touchscreen. And the bottom of her beer was just barely resting on the screen, which on that console registers as mouse down, left button down. And until left button unclicks, the rest of the face panel doesn't do anything. So I'm just Thanks, sitting there. I'm, I'm pushing every button I can. And I, I'm looking at the artist and he's kind of, you know, he's playing a guitar and he's kind of looking at me. And he's like, what's, what's going on here? And I'm just like, you know, frantically giving the panic signal with my hands and I don't know what to do. And, uh, and I look over and I just see this beer kind of resting. I just kind of lean over and I pick it up with one finger and all of a sudden five cues fire at once and the show picks back up and we go back and I'm like, can you not put that there? Thanks. You know, Occam's Razor says that the, sim is it that's the simplest solution should always be, or the simplest explanation is the explanation. Mm -hmm. I would not have a beer resting on my console as the uh, simplest solution. Do you have a little more separation from the crowd these days? Or? Yeah. Uh, sometimes. Uh, you know, we're, this is a this is a profit-driven business, so we're trying to cram as many humans into the room as we can. And it wasn't like Nicole Kidman had her beer on the, no. the thing. No. no, it's just some random woman. It's just a, just a random human being. Yeah. Ugh. Human it, beings are the worst. Ironic as she's like, let's see what you do for a living, as I destroy what you do for a living. Yeah. She wanted to try it. She was just really bad at it. Yeah. I mean, in her defense, she had a couple beers in her. <laughs> well, and a couple beers on the console. These things yes. happen. These things happen. This yeah. is why there's a whole Instagram account for uh, drinks on consoles. Mm -hmm. it, I love it. It's hilarious. There is? Yeah. Yep. yeah be, I, I learned that day that you put an aisle between the uh, audience and you. We've, we've sold some things to customers because of drinks on consoles situations. I guess one happens. could say that the drinks on consoles might keep us in business, really. It might. Mm -hmm. I mean, do we need to also sell sippy cups? You know? Yes. That's so it's like here's your replacement board and here's a sippy cup. No, you just you just throw it in, man. It's a marketing tool. Okay, but again, we'll that'll put your logo on it. And, yeah, I mean, we could do a meme with Blake drinking from the sippy cup because that's what he drinks from. Well, you give it to somebody basis. if somebody calls you to buy something because they got water or a drink in their console, you give it to them as a consolation prize. On a tour, if somebody came to work late, consolation prize. Consolation prize. Oh, uh, well played. I like it. Uh, on tour, if you would lose your laminate sometimes, depending on the tour manager and how much fun you like to have with people, they'll give you like a giant one that's, you know, a poster size. To shame you. Uh, to shame you into not losing your laminate ever again. I'm in love with this story. Uh, you know, you just, that's not something you do. And I mean, we had all sorts of jokes like that. We, uh, if somebody came to work exceptionally late on one of the tours that my first company did, um, the crew chief would hand out Mickey Mouse gloves. And the Mickey Mouse gloves were just, you know, because one of the biggest insults you can give to a crew guy is to tell him he's a white glover, right? Oh, okay. So Why is that? You're a white glover. You don't get dirty. You don't do any real work. Mm. Uh, so if you showed up late to we work have one on of those that in tour, our company, I, I was, won't say his name. Yeah, I was muting that joke, but I mean, does, does it start with a B and end with a K? Blake? No, 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 no. I actually, I'll get my That's hands That's who ready. I was thinking of. I mean, oh, don't throw oh. somebody else under the bus. I mean, you're here, Blake, so we can constantly throw you yeah, under the, the bus. the sacrificial lamb, but yes. I better not compare myself any further than that to That's Jesus. That's right. So, um, 
I, no, I love all of those. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one more, Nathan, because honestly, I've in got my, one more too. So he gets two more. Okay, yeah. I, well, I was just maybe we can condense them down. I wanted at least one more fun. Things are going bad. Story that you're fixing. Oh, okay. I I had a different question. So go, Blake. Oh, great. Yeah. And anytime I'm having dinner with Nate, I just love pulling these stories out. So things are going bad. Stories. Yeah, things uh, are th- things are going bad, and you fix it. Like I'm fascinated by how uh, so many people in live sound have this just steel nerve about them that I think duct tape solutions. Yeah, like it's so yes. necessary for the job, even more than the know how. It's the the mental coolness and the heat of battle. Um, I think yes, we we for some reason don't have like we don't give up in live entertainment. It's there's this weird kind of I will make this work. Are you the Marines? Isn't that it's it's so no weird. Man left behind. But yeah, for for a group of people that you think would be the most relaxed, I do this because I don't want to work in a bank kind of kind of crowd. You know, like we're just here for the party, bro. Um, they they'd never stop, and our technicians are some of the most interesting people I've ever worked with. I was on a tour in 2006. One of the first things I did. Good friend of mine was the designer. I was a lighting technician. Uh, we had old Mac 2K spot fixtures and Ooh. we had disabled the pan tilt motors on them and put handles in the back and they would, we would use them as follow spots. So from an older console, you would do intensity, uh, on a fader. And then, uh, we'd give Nomex racing gloves to a spotlight operator who would hold this light right above the lamp and hopefully not burn his hands. And so we, uh, we we were at work and one of these things just I mean they were starting to get a little old by the time we got them so uh, it was a, a budget fixture for a tour that we were trying to build on a budget and it, it just it wasn't working and I remember the support act was on stage and I mean it was a rock tour right very loud rock tour so the support acts on stage and the, I mean the show's going about a thousand miles an hour and I look up and my best friend at the time on the tour is inverted from a truss. He's hanging upside down. And he's got this light completely taken apart on the truss, you know, 30 feet above the audience and the and the performer. And he's just in there. I mean, it's it's cables and solder. And I mean, he's just full on bench teching a light upside down, inverted, uh, to make this follow spot work. Because there's four guys in the principal band. They're on next. And it's like an astronaut. Good Lord, we're going to make this thing work. Um, and he did. He did. He completely got the entire thing working, got it put back together and uh, came down out of the ladder with I make maybe five minutes to spare. And after doing all of this technical work and not killing anybody with tools and all this other stuff, 35 feet in the air, he gets to the bottom rung of the ladder and he thinks he's going to be cool because at this point, the, enti- the house lights are back on. It's pre-show for the main act and the entire audience is looking at him and he's single. So he's like, hey man, there's some girls in the audience. Let me try to look cool here. So he gets to the bottom rung and he tries to jump off and when he jumps off, we, when you're up in the truss, there's a safety cable that goes from you up into the ceiling. The safety cable catches on, on the truss ladder. And so when he jumps, he's maybe four feet off the ground, but the safety cable catches, his ankle catches. And after doing this incredible feat of like upside down technical engineering, he lands flat on his back on the stage. And the entire audience just goes completely silent. Just And everybody, and then he just stands up, puts both hands in the air, and the crowd goes nuts. And I was like, okay. Ooh, we can go to work now. That's one of those salvaged moments. Yeah, actually, he yeah, it went badly for a time, but I think he ended that super well. He did, man. He did. Uh, I, I we there's so many stories about. Well, things, when we have you breaking. back on yeah. in two days, you can tell. You yeah, know, I, I can go for stories for an hour. The tech. I can tenacity. go for another hour. Okay. Uh, so you've worked with a lot of famous people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, what is just one of those moments you like, cause I'm sure, you know, you're, you're doing shows, you're live events, but then sometimes you're just like in meetings or hangout times with famous people in their situation. So like, what's a moment where you just had to look around and think to yourself, like, is this real? Am I actually here right now? Um, okay. I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you two of those. Uh, I, very, very early on in my career, I was uh, designing a show and we had a, we called them dry techs. It's basically an empty room with a show at one end and you're just pushing the button and the artist comes in and sits in front of you on a couch and goes, yeah, I like that. No, I don't like that. Yeah, I like that. How big is this room? Uh, it's half the size of an arena. Okay. So they're actually watching. They're the watching their full production. Yeah. Okay. So we... Uh, I remember an artist kind of giving me a hug from behind and saying, I can hear your heart going 90 miles an hour from all the way over here as he, he walked over from the couch. And that's when I was like, I do this for a living now. Like I'm not, I've struggled with imposter syndrome when I first started, right? I, is, is this a job for me? Am I allowed to be in this chair? I was incredibly young for the job that I had. So I was like, they're going to find out any minute that I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, that's what we assume with Blake every day. Yeah. Then don't tell them it's pulling it off so far. <laughs> So when he came over and he's like, I can hear you going from here, buddy. You're doing great. Um, that, that was one of those moments where I was like, okay, we do this for a living now. Then let's go. Um, another one. Well, uh, can you tell us who this artist is? It was Keith Urban. Well, I didn't Keith want to pressure you to. Keith Urban uh, came up and he put his hand on my shoulder and he kind of squeezed my shoulders. And he was like, I can hear your heart going from here. This looks great. Um, and I was building that show. I worked for a guy named Mark Brickman. And uh, we were putting that show together in 2009. And yeah, I, I bet was, that felt good. In that I moment. was like, okay, we yeah. can do this for a living. Um, and it, it felt incredibly good. Uh, and I'll no. give you, I'll give you another one in 2000 and I don't know, 14, 15, somewhere in there. Um, I, we were putting on a benefit for Barry Manilow. And, uh, in December, there's a couple members of the crew that have birthdays. So he decided to throw a birthday party at his house. I'd never, I've worked for him on and off for a few years and I hadn't been to the house yet. And, so we go up into, you know, into his place and, you know, go up through the gate and you go up a little hill and, you know, you're staring at uh, his, where his house is. It kind of faces over a valley and it's just gorgeous and stunning. And um, he kind of looks at me and he goes, you have an eye for this stuff. Let me give you a tour of the place. And, and I, why not? And, and, and that, that was another one of those moments where, like, I took that compliment from somebody who is very accomplished. I mean, you could shore up a small house with the number of Grammys this guy has, you know, he's sold more records. You know, I'm pretty sure he's given the Bible a run for its money on sales. Um, <laughs> don't tell Jesus. I don't tell Jesus. So we, uh, but he, he was like, yeah, let me show you, let me show you around the place. Cause you got an eye for design and you, you, you'll like it. And he gave me a tour of his house and it was stunning. Um, kind of a stunning spot to be in and, you know, some gorgeous mid-century ranch. That's just beautiful and well-decorated and designed. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is, and then I had to come home and, you know, like, we we come home and we you know hit the you know Burger King for lunch because you know <laughs> you I, need to come I, back down to reality. Back to reality. I, I'm that world adjacent. I don't live in that world. <laughs> uh, so you know, came home, got in the car, and drove myself home, and then had to walk the dog. <laughs> real life came back in. Real real life comes back real hard when you come home from those trips. Okay, so uh, one more quick question before we do our tech takeaway with Blake. Okay. Um, you know, you've worked with some amazing artists, amazing names. Is there like, do you kind of fall asleep dreaming? Like, 
if this artist called tomorrow, that would be like the coolest thing I could imagine. Well, we already figured out it's Richard Simmons. Yes. Oh, Richard. And I did confirm I okay, think he's it, still alive. If it wasn't Richard alive, Simmons, even, the though he's, even though he's still alive, but if it so, wasn't Richard so if Simmons. it wasn't. We don't anymore. Um, Seth and I have been blessed to work for guys that are just phenomenal at what they do. And we are, at this point, not in a place where we're trying to chase like a dream artist or a dream performer. Um, we love partnering with people who want to get creative and want to do things differently and are excited to kind of either reinvent something that they've done in the past or to just be weird and, and do something completely new. Um, it's Bette Midler, isn't it? It, it is. It is. I, 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 I got to tell you. The, you can. This is a safe place. I mean, she just does it for me, man. Blake, do you know who Bette Midler is? I don't. Man, Blake. Like, I, I can't let my wife hear this podcast now because now I have to admit that she, I, I got a little thing for Bette Midler. <laughs> man, I, well, hang on. You, uh, you've been lighting for some churches too, right? We, uh, we designed the crossing at Chesterfield. Um, we have a couple churches in development. Do you, do you want to give out your name and say if, uh, if you want to have me consult on your church? Yeah, like, we'd love to. Okay. Uh, we'd love to. We, so our office is called the, the dark room creative and uh you can find i was us about to call you like google room. i was like nope that's something else that's something completely your dark room yes uh, are, what's your website the room. uh the dark room nice we're based in middle tennessee and we go anywhere and do anything man that's a good tagline we go anywhere and do anything well all right nathan i'm gonna put you on the spot one last time um this is the end of our show where we do the tech takeaway so essentially uh everyone knows best practices uh, techs are, you know, they got their checklist, they're going through it. What's something that is not on that list that you've picked up in your time of like, man, this is something that it's kind of weird. It's kind of out there, but I do it every time. Or if I need it, I use it. And man, it just makes everything work. Like, uh, tech takeaways from Nate. Uh, and it I, doesn't even have to be, I'm going to keep vamping a little bit. It doesn't have to be uh, super technical. It's not like. It could be a philosophical thing. A lot it of them be end like, up being that. You know, as these young kids are thinking, dreaming of a tech, a life in tech, like. Uh, I'll give you one for each. Uh, on the technical side of life, two is one, one is none. Always have a spare for everything because something will break. And uh, you'd never want to be that guy who is looking at a tour manager or a production manager or in our boat, once you hit you know, kind of the creative designer side of life, you don't want to be the guy standing in front of an artist saying, I'm sorry, this thing that you paid for is broken and we don't have anything to fix it. Now, didn't your spare grand MA actually get you into trouble? It did. It did. But, okay. more, but more often than not, my spare grand MA saved me from trouble. Okay. Um, and then on the philosophical side of life, uh, there's no such thing as it can't be done. There's just, we haven't tried it yet. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah, don't be the no guy. Uh, we work in a creative industry and all ideas are welcome. And just just try it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But then at that point, you guys are on the same team and you guys are working together towards a solution as opposed to it being an adversarial relationship. So there's no such thing as it won't work. There's just, we haven't tried it yet. I would I imagine the courage to try a crazy idea is pretty foundational to your job and really all live production because yeah. yeah the worship leader comes and says let's try this and you're like well, we've never done that well hey maybe it's awesome and so and you even more so you've got these artists where they say make make my attic come back from my childhood and you're like i guess i will i get i guess i'll figure out how to light that up yeah you ever feel like a genie in a bottle in those moments no just granting wishes uh well i mean we we're taught early on in our career that you don't say no to people so it's kind of a natural progression of that to Take that that you do to the person who pays you and then just apply it to everybody else. Nathan, I say no to Blake every single day. You have to. 
I have you can't, to. You can't feed that demon. Man, I was going to say, wait a minute. Let's, yeah, let's, let's track, uh, bring this principle back to our company. Yeah, what is one thing you should never say no to, though? White cheddar popcorn. Good coffee. Oh, hang on. I, I teed you up, Blake. It was so easy. Well, if you're teeing me up from our bumper ad, that's at the end post-outro music. Structurally. We haven't hit the outro music yet? We haven't hit the outro music <sighs> yet. We got to say bye to Nathan. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. We never say bye to Nathan. Well. But I guess for this episode. I literally have him on my calendar to see him and Karen. So I was like, all right, don't don't make uh, ask any questions. I'll make Maybe Nathan we should have mad. Karen on the podcast next time to give us like the real insider information about Nathan. This yes. spou- well, you could get the spousal perspective of someone who's married to a tour. Married to a tour guy. That's yeah. a lot. All right, Blake, now, now that you understand where I'm going with this, what is one thing you should never say no to, or multiple things? You should never say no to a ticket to the early service. Do you need a ticket? You need, um, you need at least something. You need a pop-up ad on the website, you grab it, you go to it, and boom, there you are. You're at this magical page called the early service. And what does the early service get you? The early service, there's not much it can't get you, quite honestly. Um, it's the best gear in the world. It's warrantied. It's most of the time not even in production because of supply chain issues. And suddenly all of that great gear comes to your inbox on Monday morning. And there's no beer cans sitting on it. You know, if and if there were, it's uh, it's been cleaned off. But yeah, I can say with confidence, there's never been a beer can on any of our early service items. So make sure you sign up for that at churchgearearlyservice.com and get the best stuff to your inbox. Thanks for listening. And hey, congratulations on Surviving Sunday. If you happen to make it through next Sunday as well, join us again for your weekly Tech Breather. Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church gear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke. That didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? You know what? That one works.